Thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. Uh, Alex and I have already been chatting, hence you can hear him giggling uh, in the background for those of you who are listening. Uh, for those of you who are watching us, uh, welcome to the best belly laugh that is out there, also known as Alex Collins. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Good, it's good to be here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, in, in this, these crazy times, it's definitely nice to, to sit actually have some laughter and uh, relax a little bit. So uh, yes, it is. That, that was much, much needed. Um, you know, to, to go along with that, obviously there's a lot going on out there. And for many of you, you're focusing on your practice and you're focusing on really making sure that you're still taking care of your patients and your employees and yourself so that you can thrive and uh, and build what you want to build. Today's podcast, what we thought we would do is focus more on the personal side, uh, because in the end, everything goes back to the personal side uh, in terms of living uh, your life outside of the business. While we know many of you, including ourselves, right, it's hard to even fathom uh, yourself not as a, a practice owner, uh, but it's important to step away from the practice and have that that family time and that time with the people that you know and love. And so what we wanted to do today is have a conversation around what should you be doing on the personal side of your finances uh, in times of this? So what are some opportunities in terms of looking at your finances uh, to make sure that you're 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 set up to be that you know safe and secure so you can feel comfortable with what's going on? Yeah, this is basically a disaster planning for for the family. Um, last week we tackled disaster planning for for uh, your practice. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be very similar in terms of the three steps. It's obviously have a plan, implement the plan, and communication with the people that you need to communicate. Oftentimes that's the spouse. And so, kind of jumping right in here, Alex talking about having a plan. Um, the first thing that we always say. Is protecting our income um, and, and protecting our family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, without that cash flow coming in the door, without uh, without revenue, uh, life gets gets really challenging really quickly for for not only you but also for for your family. Yeah, and you know we understand that you know many of you did not get in uh, to your practice for this this big money type of uh, idea. Uh, you get into your practice because you want to help people and that's your that's your first priority you can't help people if you don't have income coming in the door and you can't help yourself unless you have income coming in the door and that's why we always say make sure that income is protected to the way that you want it to be protected and so make sure you're looking Absolutely. at it from that perspective um yeah step, go ahead step two step two in this plan is is proper savings and that's just really controlling you know, where you're putting your money and how much money you're saving. Yeah. And this is the concept of uh, savings rate and making sure that we're, we're building proper 
proper savings habits. So being able to get to the point of saving 15 to 20 percent of your of your uh, your gross income. Um, and that that's always a tricky number for business owners. And what we mean by that isn't the the practice revenue. It's it's your own personal revenue. Um, so, you know, the the paycheck that you take out of the practice, um, whether it's your paycheck, whether it's a dividend, whatever that winds up looking like. Um, being able to save 15 to 20 percent of that that number, um, you know, where those dollars go is a little bit less important, um, but getting in those good savings habits of, of 15 to 20 percent. Absolutely. Which really kind of goes into part three of the plan, and that's all about liquidity. And what we mean by liquidity is really access to the to cash uh, in a quick uh, fashion should you need it. Um, and you know, as Alex just pointed out, step two is making sure that we're saving enough. Step three is, okay, where are you putting it? Because the last thing you want is every dollar locked up. And in the event that you have an opportunity land in your lap or an event like we're, we're experiencing right now where you really want to have cash on the hand, uh, if it's all locked up, it's the safety net or the safety that you, we want to have is no longer there. Yeah, I mean, at that point, the the real only cash flow savings that we can, or the only savings that we can really access is uh, the ability to halt that fifteen to twenty percent savings and redirect it elsewhere. Um, so instead of of having that be our our only safety valve or or safety net, uh, we we want to make sure that we're building up dollars in a place that we can access them without uh, fear of penalty, without. Uh, much in the way of taxation and, and without uh, concerns over, you know, what, uh, how it's invested. So for example, right now we don't want to be pulling dollars out of the stock market if we can avoid it because the market's down, you know, 15, 20, 25%, depending upon how you're invested. Um, and, and so like we don't want to erode our purchasing power by needing to pull those dollars uh, to create liquidity. Yep. And, Again, and we've done a whole podcast on this. So make sure you go back and check it out. Having cash on hand allows you to do other things with your other money, right? So it's not just a, a, a straight look at your money in terms of, well, every dollar sitting in my savings account is getting 0.0, .0 in terms of rate of return. <laughs> I could be putting that those dollars to better use. Look at it from the standpoint of every dollar you've got sitting there allows your other money to work that much harder. And if you wanted to have, if you want to have more risk with that other money, you can do that because you've got cash on hand and you don't have to worry about having to pull the money out at the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I absolutely love the, uh, the quote from our, our banker client who, who's, who, when asked, uh, what, what, what rate or what interest rate are you, is your bank currently giving folks without skipping a beat? Zero point nothing. Right. Exactly. So, and then, and then step four, and this is all about debt. This is all about managing debt efficiently. Um, this tends to be looked at as almost step one in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. And it's really from, and having high interest bad debt, such as credit cards, where you're paying 20% or something crazy on interest rate, obviously we don't want to have that kind of debt, right? Our reasoning of having protecting your income first is if you're not protecting your income and it goes away, did it really matter? No, you're not going to be able to pay that debt back. It's like... Throw another you're log going, on the fire. It, right, you're going work. back into debt, or you're in, in worse trouble because you may not be able to get back into debt. Because normally, to apply for a loan, you need to have this thing called income. 
Yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, we can sometimes look at, you know, aggressively paying down debt as a method of savings. But in an ideal world, unless we've got that high interest rate credit card debt or, or uh, um, some other type of uh, high, super high interest rate loan, we're, we're not going to be super excited about paying that off because it doesn't create liquidity, um, at least not in the short term. And so by having at least some amount of liquidity, we, we provide much more choice and much more option in the way of options. Um, now, we certainly may want to pay down those high high interest credits uh, or, or debts before we start doing a whole lot of investing in you know, variable markets or, or whatever the case may be, whether that's uh, stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, almost kind of doesn't matter. Um, it, it's taking a look at, at uh, what the rate of return is by by putting additional dollars into those places, whether it's debt repayment or whether it's uh, building an asset. Yep, absolutely. So uh, just so we're crystal clear, we're not saying having debt is a good thing. <laughs> we're saying if you have high interest rate debt, obviously we do want to pay that off. But something like a low interest rate, like mortgage, I mean, right now you can go get a mortgage for what, three, three and a half interest percent interest rate, right? That's pretty darn low. So to take your money and possibly overpay on that without having a, a savings account set up may not be your best option depending on your situation. Right. So so you've got those four pieces in the plan. So then it's obviously about implementing it, right? Like you can have these steps, but really gets down to implementation. And so when we talk about protecting your income, we're really talking about protecting from worse threats first because we could sit here we could sit here for hours talking about all the different threats to our income but we really want to take care of the worst threats to our income threats that could essentially wipe our finances off the off the balance sheet exactly what what can make our income or our cash flow go to zero um and I, like those are the things that we want to try and protect against um and really just make sure that we've got everything squared away. So that's, um, and there's kind of four categories there. Um, you know, one is uh, if you get sick or hurt, can't be at work. Two is if you pass away. Three is if you're voluntarily laid off. Retirement, would retirement, staying home for the kids. Those are kind of the, the two most frequent ones uh, for the voluntary. And then the, the last one is involuntarily not working. Um, you know, it's where your hours get reduced or you get laid off or the, the industry changes or some, something makes it so that you want to be working and you simply can't. So those are the four. Um, there's different solves for each one of the four. Uh, we're not going to get into that today. We've gone through that in the past. So take a look at some of the old podcasts. And, uh, and if you have more questions, by all means, reach out to us. Let us know. Yep. Um, you know, part of implementing this this plan is is having a strategy or the the access to to the funds this kind of goes hand in hand with liquidity but uh you want to make sure that you know where your money is going and it, you have purpose as to why the money is going there rather than well i set it up and i forgot about it and i don't really i don't really have a plan well have a plan and then have purpose as to why the money's going there. And that might change. Like a lot of people think like when they, when you do X, you'll never do Y. That That's not the case. That's not how life works. <laughs> I don't think many of us predicted what we're going through right now. So this is why we have the different access to funds. Well, and 
I mean, a lot of this, what will come across, very few people, you know, set up savings plans without a thought, but they don't necessarily think about all of the details. And so we wind up with, you know, coming across plans that are a series of uncoordinated thoughts on, oh, hey, I should do a Roth IRA or I should do a 529 plan or eh, I should put some money in savings or 401k, whatever the, the vehicle is. There was a reasonable, rational thought behind it, but those aren't necessarily coordinated and they're not looked at from a macro standpoint of like, okay, where could I access funds? Where would be the first place, the second place, the third place, and the fourth place? And then what are the costs? What are the fees? What are the penalties? What are, what are all of the details with associated with getting access to these different dollars? And then actually putting some thought to it and figuring out like, okay, well, how much access do I need? Why would I need what access? And you know, just creating that um, and again, addressing it from a worst threats first standpoint, but uh, but making sure that we've got proper access to the funds, not just that we're saving. Yeah, a quick exercise you can do, uh, Alex mentioned macro, and we utilize a tool, it's called Living Balance Sheet, that shows really your entire financial picture on on one page. And oftentimes this this is the first time that most of our clients have really seen everything on one page and so the really what the page is 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 uh, designed for or what it looks like sorry for my language there do this right add up all of your assets right this is your checking savings accounts your retirement accounts your real estate what the what it's worth and put that in column on the left on the right is your liability so these are your credit cards your home equity lines of credits, your car loans, your student loans, your mortgages. Business loans. Exactly. Those are on the right, right? If you subtract those two, well, now you have a net worth. Don't freak out about that net worth because if you're early on in your career, it might be negative, especially with the student loans. Uh, I think the average person in their 20s still has a negative net worth. And the the more education you do, the the more that you start a business, the more likelihood that that number is going to be negative for a longer period of time. Um, I think doctors typically wind up having a, a negative net worth until you know sometime in their mid thirties. Uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, um, student loan debt as well as uh, you know the startup costs right. for getting a practice off the ground. Right. So you've got your two boxes, right? Underneath those two boxes, I want you to draw a rectangle, and in that rectangle, I want you to split it up into three different areas. The first box is how much gross income is coming in the door. The second box is how much total savings are you doing? So annually, how much are you putting into savings accounts? How much are you putting into retirement accounts? How much are you putting into investment accounts? And then the last box is what what is your lifestyle? Like it, what is your minimum uh, amount of money that you spend every month to pay your bills? and take a look at that. Then you've got that piece, and then on the very top, this is the protection. This is the roof of your house. So to draw another rectangle on top of the assets and liabilities, and then I want you to write out, okay, how much protection do we have for lawsuit? How much protection do we have for protecting our income uh, from uh, sickness or injury? Do we have legal documents in place? And then the last box will be uh, in that inside of that rectangle is how much life insurance do we have in place? That quick exercise, you can literally see 
more about your balance sheet that you never thought of. And what you can literally look at is, okay, my gross income is, and I'm going to make up a number and I'm going to make it simple for, for us here, $100,000 is coming in the door. If your total savings is $5,000, if that's the annual savings that you're putting in either retirement accounts or savings accounts or investments or some combination, that means your essentially your effective savings rate is 5%. Mm-hmm. We brought up having 15 to 20%. So right there is something to consider as what's going on. And then that last box is like, what are the basic necessities, bills that you have? And now you can really look at, okay, what is my lifestyle? Where am I putting my money? Right? Then you can look at the protection piece and you can literally look at the dollars. Say, okay, if I've got $500,000 of life insurance and I've got $100,000 of income, so that means I've got five years replacement of my income. So real quick example of how you can look at all of your, your finances on one on one page and start to look at, okay, how is everything coordinating with one another? Yeah, so, absolutely. It, it's a, it's an amazing tool and we can basically run any financial uh, decision or uh, reaction, whether it's positive or negative through that and see how it affects each one of those four different domains uh, protection, assets, liabilities, and cash flow, and it's ultimately going to hit at least one of those four domains, if not multiple of those domains. We can actually track how money will flow through your balance sheet by taking a look at those those basic four things, and it's it's really a rather simplistic model, but at the same time, it gives us a tremendous amount of insight into someone's circumstance and situation. And what are some of the things that that we may need to do to to uh, improve your financial situation? Yep. The the last piece about implementing the plan, and we were kind of getting there with that little exercise, is keeping your lifestyle in check. Uh, this doesn't mean to not increase your lifestyle. What we're saying here is, if your income goes up by say three percent this next year, your lifestyle have it go up, but don't have it always go up by the same amount of income. So if it went up by 3%, if your lifestyle also goes up by 3%, now you've got no wiggle room and you're not able to save more money. Increase it, maybe. You're actually saving less money as a percentage of your income if you didn't didn't increase anything. So I want to be crystal clear on that. We're not telling you to, you know, those finance guys never want you to spend any money. It's not, it's not about that. It's about having a plan and understanding okay when you have income raises awesome go celebrate and don't take the entire pay raise and throw it to lifestyle making make uh, intentional choices like a lot of a lot of what budgeting is really designed around is it's not trying to pinch every penny or figure out where everything's going you know figuring out where everything's going is useful but that that's not the point and purpose of it the point and purpose of it is to figure out what are the things that need to get done and then anything you have left over beyond the things that you need to get done, paying the mortgage, keeping the utilities paid for, food on the table, um, basic amount of protection um, and basic amount of savings. Once once we've got those things tackled and covered, like, okay, got it. Now the rest is just choice. Yep. And so it's actually f- like for folks that look at it through that lens, budgeting can be quite a freeing experience because you realize, oh, hey, I've got five grand or 10 grand or whatever the number is to be able to go do something. And now instead of it going towards 
like random small stuff throughout the throughout the month, we can make intentional choices and say, okay, well, I'm going to prioritize going to Hawaii or whatever the whatever the the thing is is that you that you really are passionate about and you really care about. It gives you more control and more flexibility with how you go after those things. Yep. So after we, after we've implemented this plan, right, then it's all about communication with the people that we need to be communicating with. Um, oftentimes, this is our spouse. This may be the hardest part. Uh, it, uh, it just depends on the backgrounds, right? <laughs> sure. you're, you're, when you get married, you've got two completely different upbringings around a you know, conversation around money, relationship with money, and you're you're jamming them together, right? Yeah. You could, have, you could have one person who grew up uh, with very little money and stressed about money and their parents stressed about money. So they stress about talking about money, which obviously doesn't bode well for communication around what is the plan, right? So being on the same page is huge and having that foundation is also huge. And so, you know, sitting down and, and somehow making it enjoyable, you know, maybe it's going out to dinner, making it a date night opening up a bottle of wine and then just having a, a frank conversation around, okay, what, what's important to us? What are we building and what should we be doing with the money? The the major thing is demystifying it, making it not a taboo topic to, to discuss and making sure that you're communicating a, a, on it about a, on a regular basis. That way, you know where you stand and the more and the better that we communicate, the happier everyone's going to be with, with where we're at. Yep. It's it's the surprises um, and, and the, it's specifically the bad surprises of like, oh, hey, yeah, hun, by the way, we're uh, $15,000 in credit card debt. What? It's those types of conversations that we uncover um, that th those oftentimes become big, big, big issues. Yeah, you know, in the end, I think the more you communicate about money, the more you're on the same page and really the less stress money will become because of that. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it does take that initial conversation, which might, let's just call it suck. <laughs> sure. Because we don't know either how to have that conversation. There's a bunch of things there. Just, you know, if you want to take a traditional man and woman approach, I know when I have conversations with my wife, I definitely can approach it better with her. Um, and I've learned uh, over time to do it better, but I definitely did not approach it the right way the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I've been in the industry the entire time that I've been uh, that that I've been married to to my wife Heather, and yeah, absolutely, I've I've learned to communicate better, and uh, it's still like, there's still times when we don't communicate as well as we could, um, and a lot of that goes back to to the second point here, which is understanding finance. Uh, our country doesn't do a, a good job of, of promoting and teaching financial literacy. And so we wind up coming across people that really don't even have some of the basics of, of how finances work. And it's really hard to have a conversation when you don't understand some of the basics. Uh, I mean, imagine something that you know really, really well. Like I'll use baseball as the example for you and I, Ryan. I mean, imagine if you didn't have any concept of what a pitcher was. Like how do you have a conversation around baseball? Without knowing what a pitcher is right it's virtually impossible and so like making sure that you have that strong foundation and that understanding of finances and it's one of the things that we strive to do is make sure that uh, that finance isn't a second language and that that we provide a way for folks to 
to get a better understanding and have have more knowledge around how finances work and and what some of the basics are so we can have some of these conversations and and, in, and really improve knowledge as we go along yeah kind of compared to you know you call it financial literacy if we're, if we're you know if we're comparing it to health how many of us learned or maybe you're still learning right like what we should be putting in our bodies maybe we should be exercising how much sleep we should be getting and the relaxation <laughs> right like, you all went to school for all of this so you know this very very well right i can do a bunch of google searching on all of that stuff now putting it all in a plan for myself that that that's the hard part yep. it's the exact same thing on the finance side you can go google search a, a roth conversion or a backdoor roth or all these other things that are out there but how does that pertain to you and how do you implement it well and then how do you know what to actually google <laughs> i don't know anything about health <laughs> question mark <laughs> but I, I i think we're beating the dead horse here alex but I, I think you know the point is is educate yourself and 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 ask people that and don't ask you know maybe you're maybe you have a relative that's actually in the financial services industry that's a great person to go ask it's a good right. place to start and and if they if they are able to provide the the information that you're looking for awesome um you know if not keep keep searching until you find someone that you're comfortable with us com comfortable with this discussing this stuff um, whether that's us or somebody else like our goal is to make sure that we we increase the level of lit financial literacy in our in our country um and the, the last thing in terms of communicating with your spouse is really it's it's a, a largely about uh accountability so knowing who does what when how and why and making sure that that's communicated you know there's a lot of times where we see one spouse being put in charge of this stuff and, and it's really really super challenging because either they they did their job and they get to retirement and everything works out perfectly and the other spouse goes hey good job awesome you did what you're supposed to do congrats <laughs> Right, or you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and the other person completely abdicated any responsibility, and it winds up, you know, with that with uh, the spouse that abdicated their responsibility becoming really, really upset. It's like, hey, look, you you were responsible for this too, at least partially, and so, like, yeah, like we needed to have more conversation, and maybe it's on me for not bringing it up, but. Boy, we like every time I tried to bring it up, we couldn't have the conversation or or whatever else the the, the case may be. And this actually can wind up causing a lot of divorce um, later in life is is fights over money and like one one spouse not living up to what the other spouse held them accountable to. And that that becomes the one of the key things is making sure that it's communicated well so that we know what we're being held accountable to yep. on both sides. Exactly. So, you know, in quick review, the, the, the main takeaways here, everybody, is A, have a plan, and there is a proper order to that plan. Mm -hmm. Implement the plan, and then really the, the communication or accountability piece of, of making sure that it's getting done. Uh, those are the three steps. Uh, you know, those steps aren't difficult to understand. They're difficult to actually do. 
Mm-hmm. And having someone help you be accountable is huge, whether that's a spouse or someone else in your life, it, it can be uh, life-changing. So we hope today's podcast was valuable for you. Make sure you reach out to us at holistic-finance.com. And if you just go down to the bottom of the page there, you can email us with any, any questions, as well as answers to our questions of the day, which we've been getting a couple. So thank you very much for those. And if you got any value out of this, please share it with your colleagues, uh, share it with your family and friends, um, because my guess is if, if you got something out of it, typically you, your friends and family and colleagues also have, uh, have those same concerns or same value adds. So um, share that with them. Um, so let's get to the question of the day here, Alex. The question of the day is, when was the last time you had a conversation with your spouse around financial planning? And how well did that go? Awesome. So head to our site, send us your answers. And as always, Alex, make it a great day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, Membra, Memra, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2020 99